Hi guys, welcome to today's episode. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing really good. I'm sitting here drinking my very creamy decaf. Yeah, maybe you could, I'm not sure if you could hear that, but I just always need like a decaf when I am doing an episode recording. And also I really like the thing called chicory. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but it's basically like a caffeine-free drink that tastes similar to coffee, but it has absolutely no caffeine in it because, you know, decaf, it has a little bit of caffeine and I'm just very, very sensitive to caffeine. So I'm drinking my chicory decaf thingy with creamy, creamy milk in it, which is very delicious. And I strongly recommend chicory if you are someone who's caffeine sensitive. Also, if you are someone who is drinking coffee or decaf or whatever and you put like the lowest calorie milk in it possible, this is your sign to get some creamy stuff. I can reassure you, it's so much better. It's so much better. You were not put on this earth to drink like the lowest fat milk possible and have your coffee taste watery, okay? And speaking of put on this earth, today we're going to talk about the fear of life. Wow. That was a little bit too casual for the topic. And today we're talking about the fear of living. Okay, yeah. And some of you are maybe like, wait, what? (laughs) We're talking about what? (laughs) But this is a topic I see again and again. Because, you know, as someone in the recovery community who works with people with eating disorders, there are certain topics that I see come up again and again. And one of them is the fear of life. And especially the fear of a recovered life and the fear of, oh, what if I recover and I fail at life? As I see very often, people hold on to the eating disorder because they think that they are fundamentally flawed and their eating disorder makes them feel like, oh, well, at least I'm good at something, right? And especially because we live in a diet culture that rewards certain behaviors, it makes them feel almost like they got a secret talent, they got a secret skill, a secret hobby, they got a special identity from the eating disorder. And I think it is okay to talk about these things and to kind of, you know go there because I think a lot of time people don't want to go there they don't want to talk about the attachment to suffering they don't want to talk about the fear of living the fear of you know jumping into it because I see this is what holds a lot of people back is that fear that what if I recover what if I try living and I fail at life And very often people with eating disorders have a very unrealistic idea of what life entails. You know, they think that everyone else is doing so well and especially, you know, eating disorders can quite isolate us. So a lot of people get their information about the world through social media. And at social media, it seems like everyone is doing amazingly, right? Because it's a highlight reel, you always see the good things. And then when you see the bad things, uh, then sometimes, and this is no shade to (laughs) my fellow influencers, but sometimes the bad things, the way it's presented, it doesn't, you know, the way authenticity is presented sometimes, you know, in social media, it sometimes just feels like people are trying to drive up their engagement. Like, again, no shade, but it is a lot of, you know, (laughs) it doesn't really feel real. You, You kind of, yeah... I don't know, guys. What do you think? Am I am I being a dick here? Because I'm all about sharing authenticity in social media, but sometimes it just feels like, you know, I am absolutely dead and empty inside. That was until I discovered this body wash. 
You know, I was about to go on a little bit of a tangent here uh, about, you know, the commodification of wellness. I'm using big words here. (laughs) Basically, like how capitalism makes us feel like we can, you know, buy ourselves out of misery and how it makes us identify with brands rather than our communities. I could have gone off by that, but I'm not going to do that because it's not the topic but if you want me to talk about it do let me know fun fact i actually have a bachelor degree in marketing where i specialize exactly in this and as a result i now hate marketing and i'm literally just buying secondhand stuff as a response so yeah and now back to the very casual topic of the day what do i do when i fear life <laughs> i'm laughing way too much for the topic but sometimes when there is like very big questions, the very deep questions, I think like a very common human response is to kind of joke, right? I notice I do it myself. I, joke, I notice that most people do it. Have you ever noticed that when someone is in a conversation and they just casually mention something very traumatic and they just kind of laugh it off? Like, and this is one of those topics. So what I see with people with eating disorders is that they often have a very high need for predictability and reassurance. And the truth is, when it comes to life, that's not really something you can get. You know, the only thing that is completely sure is that you're going to die one day, right? But before that, you need to live. And living can be scary. Us human beings seek out familiarity, and that sometimes includes familiar suffering as well. And we live in a world where there's so much focus on the exceptional, on the extremes, right? The truth is that most of us exist more in the gray and embracing that gray rather than the black and white is so important. Let me explain that a little bit more. So when you look at the news, you always hear about the absolute best people and the absolute worst people, right? You hear about the super famous people or the people who did something amazing or you hear about the awful people, the serial killers whatsoever. So you always hear about the extremes. You hear very little about, you know, the average Joe who went out with his trash and then went to work. You don't hear about this because this is deemed non-interesting. But actually, this is what life mostly consists of. Life mostly consists of really mundane moments and finding meaning in mundanity. And I know this can seem almost depressing for some people, but actually it should be reassuring. So I see people with eating disorders, they're stuck in the extreme of like pain and suffering. And they're thinking, well, I'll only recover if I become like extremely successful and famous and the most beautiful, amazing person. And my life is just stars, you know? And because that's what they, because they've been so, you know, Um, shielded from the real world they think this is what it is because they got most of their information about the outside world through media and through social media where it is these extremes right and there is this comparison trap where they compare themselves to other people and they only see the highlight reels they're like oh well everyone else is doing so well so recovering to an actual normal human life seems almost like a failure In short, they think that either they have to be exceptional at their eating disorder, exceptional at suffering and misery and being the sickest, or they have to be exceptional at life. And this is not me saying that an eating disorder is a choice, because it's not. But recovery is a choice. But choosing recovery when you don't know exactly what to expect and don't know exactly who you are can be quite terrifying. And you know, if you set the bar so high, you're just going to think, oof, I'm going to fail because this is so much. Like, where do I even begin, you know? And I'm just saying, when it comes to recovery and when it comes to a recovered life, 
first of all, give yourself a goddamn break, okay? Don't set the bar so high so quick. You don't have to go straight from, you know, being severely sick with an eating disorder into, you know, having the perfect marriage and house and job and being this amazing, rich and famous person, you know? That is not really how it works. And if you set the bar there, then chances are, instead of, you know, just accepting normal life, you're actually just going to think, well, ah, that's so high. The bar is so high. I'm never going to get there. So I might as well just give up and stay sick, right? Be critical of the content you consume, you know, be critical of the fact that, you know, on social media, it's a highlight reel, right? Don't take that as an indicator of what the real world for real people is. Because you only hear about the most beautiful people, the most successful people, the most this and that and this and that. You always hear about the extremes, but most people are not extreme. The truth is that most people are quite average in most areas of their life, but there are like a few things that we are above average in, right? So someone might be average at most, but they're incredibly intelligent, but then other areas in their life, they're quite average. Or someone might be pretty average, but they just have a special talent for guitar or writing or singing or whatsoever. Understand what I mean? But here's the thing, you don't have to be exceptional to recover. And another thing is that the way that we learn and develop in life is through failure. I know this is a bit of like a, almost like a self-help cliche, but it's so true. And that is that we learn more from our failures than our wins. You know, when I think about the most defining moments in my life where I have learned the most and made the most growth, that has come from me absolutely messing it up. For instance, right now, I would say that I'm someone with quite a secure attachment style when it comes to relationships. And, you know, I'm the type of person a lot of my friends will go to when they have relationship questions, all of that. I didn't come to this point from having easy relationships. I came to this point from being absolutely chaotic for the first few years of my life and learning the very, very hard way through loss and pain. And this applies to so many other areas in your life, you know? Don't be so scared of recovering and then, you know, starting life and messing up because that is how you learn. That is how you learn. And I know this might seem scary, especially if you are someone who, you know, are a bit of like a perfectionist and you want everything to be predictable. But I hope you can also maybe find some relief in that, you know? You don't need to know exactly what you're doing to do it. You don't need to be perfect. Just, you need to jump into it a bit, right? And the eating disorder, of course, hates this because the eating disorder loves predictability and it loves, you know, routine and it loves knowing exactly what's going to happen. This is why the eating disorder can even find comfort in recovery sometimes, like I spoke about last episode. I know that this fear of life is keeping people stuck, you know? We talk a lot about fear of death, you know, and that fear of death is something that drives people towards recovery because they're realizing, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself if I don't choose the path of recovery but we talk very little about the fear of life and an eating disorder is just so all-compassing and so energy and time-consuming that it kind of distracts you from you know feeling much else and thinking about much else right and then as you recover you know you gradually start getting your feelings back you start to realize that you need to you know, find find yourself, as cliche as it sounds, but you know, you need to find an identity outside of the suffering. And that can be overwhelming and you feel confused. Who am I? What do I do? What do I do with all this brain capacity? 
And I often say this, that when you are recovering from an eating disorder, you might reach a point where you feel a bit empty and lost and a bit like, what now? Who am I? What do I do with this time? What do I do? You know, how do I move forward? Who am I outside of my pain and suffering? And this is scary, but it's also essential because, you know, the emptiness that you feel is actually space for you to fill up your life with new things. But filling up your life with new things doesn't happen overnight. Another logic that I see a lot with people with eating disorders is this thing that, you know, well, if I try life now, but I have my eating disorder, at least I have a reason of why I'm failing. You know, I have a reason of, you know, why, for instance, I'm not pursuing relationships or the work that I want. You know, I can always, you know, blame my eating disorder, right? But then if I recover, I don't have my eating disorder to fall back on. What if I'm still, you know, unable to date or get a job or like all of these things and I don't have an eating disorder then what do I you know blame you know do I blame myself does that mean that I'm faulty and then instead of actually letting go of the eating disorder and trying out this whole living without an eating disorder thing people just don't do it because what if what if I try and live and fail and I can't blame my eating disorder just that thought of that is just so crushing that it keeps people stuck and it prevents people from letting go. Or they might find another form of, you know, suffering to identify with. And I think this is why I keep saying that we learn from our failures. I think if we, as a society, just completely redefined how we see failure, I think that would make it a lot easier for people to, you know, to jump into it headfirst and put themselves in the arena, right? One of the most important things I ever did in my entire life was to reframe my view of failures. Right now, I see failure as not even trying. That is for me, failure. If I don't even try, then I failed. If I tried and it didn't go the exact way that I did, I don't really see it as a failure. I see it as a lesson. And my life quality has improved so much from that simple shift in mindset. It also has made me handle rejection so much better. Because I've gotten used to rejection, you know, I've experienced some form of rejection or things not going the way I wanted it to. And I have come out of it and I have been fine. And I'm just like, wow, this did not kill me. Let's use dating again as an example, because I think this is quite a typical one where there is a lot of fear of rejection, right? Before, I used to be quite scared of rejection in dating. And as a result, I would just never take any initiative whatsoever. I would just date whoever pursued me the most aggressively. And as a result, I'd end up with some not so compatible partners. But now, because my, you know, self-image and view of myself is so good and I handle rejection so well, I just shoot my shot. <laughs> And I take initiative. I tell people, hey, I like you, you know? And since I did that, the type of people I date are, I'm just so much healthier and I'm so much more compatible with them. And this also goes with work, you know? If you're actually just going for the things that you want to, but are a little bit scared of rejection, then you're more likely to, you know, to not settle and instead enter towards a path that is more aligned with you. And I think with recovery, a lot of people also think, well, what if I, you know, enter recovery and I fail at recovery? And, you know, this fear of failing at recovery is one that I see a lot. But again, same thing applies. You learn from your failures and they're not even failures, they're lessons. Recovery is not supposed to be perfect. Recovery is messy 
so so messy unpredictable you're learning new things you're having light bulb moments you're having little breakdowns and same thing goes with life another thing that has helped me so tremendously both in my recovery and also now as a recovered person is to stop being scared of pain and negative emotions and this is not to say that you should like actively make yourself miserable (laughs) for no reason not at all Uh, but someone on instagram i think it was sam dylan finch said that you need to suffer in the right direction and i think that's so powerful recovery is productive suffering you're suffering in the right direction suffering from having an eating disorder you're not really going forward you're suffering but you're staying stuck right so Suffering is not bad as long as it is productive suffering. And of course, sometimes, you know, we just suffer for random reasons. You know, not all suffering has to be productive. You know, sometimes just shitty things happen and we're sad. That's human. (laughs) But you understand the bigger point, right? So when it comes to, you know, letting go of recovering, going out in the real world, being terrified of being hurt or being, you know, rejected or, you know, anything negative happening to you, that is actually going to keep you stuck because these negative things could be massive, massive helpers. Don't be so scared of feeling anxious or feeling scared. Just be aware of that feeling and then do it anxious, do it scared. When talking about fear of life, there is another thing that I see a lot with people with eating disorders and that is like this fear of, you know, growing up. Almost this Peter Pan-like syndrome. Because an eating disorder, you know, you're sick and you don't have the same responsibilities and then, you know, recovering, you think means that, okay, now I'm going to have all of these responsibilities that I don't feel ready for and I'm going to be seen as, you know, I need to be fully functional adult doing adult things. And when talking about these things, I tend to use the metaphor of, you know, eating an elephant. You know, their expression is, what is the best way to eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. When you see an elephant in front of you and you're thinking, okay, I need to eat that elephant, it feels so overwhelming because the elephant is so big, right? But then when you eat it bite for bite over time, that is the easiest way to do it and eventually you have eaten the elephant. And that is essentially life. When you picture life as this big, massive concept that's just standing in front of you, like lurking, that can feel overwhelming. But life is about small things that adds up, right? And yes, being, you know, a fully functional adult in the society does come with its responsibilities. But the thing is that right now, when you have an eating disorder, one of the reasons why this feels so overwhelming, you know, to be an adult with responsibilities is because all of the space in your head and your schedule goes to the eating disorder, right? But then when you are recovering, you're freeing up a lot of space and time and then, you know, doing these things becomes less overwhelming. I think a lot of people in recovery assume that recovery is going to mean being exactly where they are now mentally, just with a different food schedule or a different body. But that is not true at all. Recovery is so transformative. You're getting a completely new perspective on things. You know, you're rediscovering yourself. Or I would say you're rebuilding yourself, right? And it is okay to feel a little bit scared about the unknown, about the prospect of, you know, rebuilding yourself, rediscovering yourself, discovering who you are outside of illness. But the whole point of this episode is to encourage you to do it anyway. And also to, you know, make you take off some pressure on having it all sorted out right off the bat, because that is not realistic. And recovered or not, we all are kind of just winging it. 
You do not need to have an exact plan on exactly how your life is going to turn out when you're recovered to pursue recovery. You're allowed to, you know, just start and embrace the path towards the unknown, just trusting that that is a better destination because the other destination is death, right? That is essentially the main goal for an eating disorder is death. So take the path, unknown path, the less traveled path towards life. You don't need to know exactly where you're going. You don't need to know exactly what you're going to face, but just knowing that you will be okay. You will handle whatever comes your way. You are so much more resilient than you think you are. And I can reassure you that going through full recovery is going to add even more resilience. A lot of the time when I go through things in my life now, I think, well, I recovered from an eating disorder, so I can recover from this as well. I can go through this as well, right? It adds a lot of resilience. You actually, in some ways, got a benefit because you've been through something very difficult, gotten yourself out of it. You know how to handle bad things, right? Take the pressure off yourself. Stop looking at other people's highlight reels. Stop focusing so much on the exceptional, on the extremes, on either being an absolute failure or an absolute, you know, success. Because most people fall in between and that's perfectly fine. One of my favorite sayings that I keep repeating is that there is a lot of narcissism in self-hatred. And thinking that you are exceptionally flawed is actually quite similar to thinking that you are exceptionally brilliant. Both are narcissistic. Both implies that you are somehow different and unique from everyone else. Life is for you as well. So today's listener question is about dealing with weight gain. So I'm paraphrasing here, but the listener is saying that they fear weight gain and how they look like with more weight and is asking for advices on how to handle this. My absolute best advice when it comes to dealing with weight gain is body neutrality. I think that if you set the bar at loving your body when you are in early phases of recovery, that sets the bar so high that you kind of set yourself up for failure. And then you're going to feel, well, I don't love my body. I'm doing something wrong. That needs to, means that I need to go back to my eating disorder. But if you instead accept feeling bad about your body as a normal part of the recovery process, that makes you feel like you're not failing when you feel these things because that is just that's just how it is, you know? I don't think I've ever heard someone in recovery who say that, oh, it was just easy breezy. I love my body all the time. I was just super excited about the weight gain. Easy, no issue. That's quite rare. I mean, maybe it does happen, but that would be a minority of cases. Most people's body image is quite down in the dumps. So yeah, acceptance and not beating yourself up for it and accepting it as a temporary part of the process and not a sign that you're doing something wrong, but actually a sign that you're doing something right. You know, because if you're feeling completely comfortable in recovery, are you really pushing yourself? Another thing to be aware of, and I spoke about this, I think it was last episode, is that actually, and this might seem absolutely makes no sense when you like, especially like from an eating disorder point of view, but actually, as long as you keep going, you keep focusing on restoring your weight to its set point of weight range, keep resting, you keep eating more, body dysmorphia actually tends to lessen. And this is what people don't understand because there is this assumption that, okay, I feel bad about my body now, so then, you know, if I gain more weight, I'll feel even worse. But ironically, the opposite tends to happen. 
I explained this more in depth in last episode where I also mentioned, you know, the Minnesota starvation study and how the men that were in that study actually experienced starvation-induced body dysmorphia. So know that it might get worse before better, but that it will eventually become better. Another thing that I strongly recommend is to be a bit cautious about when you feel the most triggered, right? When you feel the most awful about your body, is it after you have been, for instance, scrolling on Instagram, looking at other people's bodies and comparing yourself? Then catch yourself and be like, okay, that made me feel worse. Maybe I'm not going to do that. Don't unnecessarily put yourself in situations that make you feel worse about your body and stop casting judgment about yourself for when you feel the worst about your body because I see a lot of people who for instance they feel really bad when they are scrolling Instagram that's when they feel the worst about their bodies and then they're casting judgments on themselves like oh my god I'm so superficial this is ridiculous I just need to handle this you know you're in recovery be a bit gentle with yourself it's okay to you feel triggered and take a step back from that also avoid body checking Body checking can become such a habit for people that they might not even realize they're doing it. You need to stop it. A good way to stop it can be to use a replacement behavior. So for instance, if you're someone who body checks by, you know, touching your thigh, then touch, I mean, your toe or something random instead so that you are replacing that habit with something else that is, you know, you're doing something, but you're not doing the body checking. I know that sounds a little bit strange, but when it comes to how habits work, it's quite a good one. Because basically you are getting the cue and you're doing something, but you're doing something that is not exactly what the cue asked for, but you're still doing something which helps the cue die out. Also, be mindful of when you feel the best about your body, you know? Very often I hear people feel the most body neutral uh, or good about their bodies when they're doing something completely unrelated to how their body looks like. So maybe you feel the best about your body when you are doing pottery or painting or, you know, on on the phone with a friend, you know. Engage more in things that make you feel good and don't engage in things that make you feel bad. I also, controversially, (laughs) don't think that in recovery, you need to overly analyze yourself in the mirror. You know, I know some people are like, oh, but that is exposure therapy. And I'm just kind of like, mm, I just think it is unnecessary because you are already, your, your view is so distorted that you're not seeing yourself realistically. So overly focusing, looking yourself in the mirror and, you know, overly focusing on stepping on the scale, I don't think that's helpful. And I think it's completely fine to take a step back from that. And another thing is, if you're someone who is, you know, holding on to clothes that you know is not supposed to fit you, you got to throw them out. That is also a bit symbolic because you're kind of letting go of the eating disorder as you're letting go of the sick clothes. So do that as well. Don't hold on to these clothes that you know are not supposed to fit you. They're fitting the eating disorder, not you. Overall, this is a very big topic that I could probably do a whole episode about. So yeah, I will definitely do one on body image as well. But these were just some core tips that I hope you find helpful. That was it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you guys again next week.